And now, the Rathband Tapes. Episode 14. Loose Ends. Damaged Goods. 1. Last Tango. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to the Rathband Tapes. I'm Tony Horn in Lancashire, England, ghostwriter to the late PC David Rathband in South Australia, Darren Rathband, David's twin. Well, we've come to the end of the road. Time for one last tango. We're recording this on the 16th of July, 2023. It's a Sunday afternoon in the UK. It's late at night in Australia. Where do we go from here? Some loose ends, some stuff that perhaps we didn't get round to saying. What happened to some of the characters in this story? And every piece of media often comes with the making of the show. So we'll bear our souls on the line and explore and explain how this has come about and what we feel on reflection. So Darren, I hope there's nothing that we've left out, but of course, every time we stop recording, we always think of something else. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's always something that certainly is David's brother and uh, as one of the observers, participants in this, Drama, soap, comedy, parody, whatever it's called. Something will pop up. Uh, uh, and, uh, from just talking about the the litigation, uh, I, I just recall the Honourable Judge saying there is no reason that David, and I, I can't remember the exact words, but basically he said, there is no reason, having given the order to go mobile or return to the station, David would have took any notice of that order. Now, how on earth he can assume that to self-satisfy his own decision-making process is absolute. Because you know what police officers do, Tony? They take orders. They're, if they are told to stand out on the front of a murder scene in the rain, guess what? They do that until they're relieved. So David quite clearly would have gone mobile, driven off, so, yeah, that just came to mind. On, on that, you, there's yep. no direct rehearsal for what happened with Moke, but let's just remind ourselves, Derek Bird on the rampage in Carlisle just a few weeks before. If there weren't immediate lessons from that about getting mobile, et cetera, et cetera, passing warnings on, then the police aren't learning anything. Well, I think what we, we, we briefly touched on um, that the, David thought nobody would turn up. There's a policy that if there's a firearm, that you don't go straight to the scene. So they've got it in reverse, but when it's against one of their own, they don't really have to tell them. They don't really have to warn them. What, what was David worth? Do you know what? To us, he was worth everything. To Northumbria Police, he was worth nothing. Well, you make an interesting point there. Let's just clear the last bit up. So Darren is talking about the use of assumption 
in the litigation. So it appears on the one hand, the judge says, well, you can't assume that. But on the other says, well, you can assume this. So you can either assume or you can't, I think. Yeah. The second point is how many times we have made the case, and these were David's words, that he was the police officer, the victim, and the witness. If David, for argument's sake, was not wearing what he called his cloak of invincibility, his Superman outfit, his police uniform, and sat in a police car that night there, but the same set of circumstances had prevailed, Moat rings in, says, I'm going to kill civilians, and David had been that civilian on, on that night. Do you think that we would have, A, come to different conclusions, and B, might have treated the victim in a slightly different light? Because there's, there's something quite uncomfortable about all this litigation in the way that he has to straddle those roles. On the one hand, he is one of their own, but I don't think that that makes the situation as transparent as it would be if he had been a civilian. Oh, no, because it, it, it's measured off by uh, this honourable judge saying that, that the police aren't or shouldn't be afforded the ability to sue their employees. So it's, it's always in the negative, and to... To actually succeed in a liability case against the chief constable is extremely rare. And, and as a family, we can, we can tell you it, that's true. One of the things you've got to prove is that they failed in their duty of care towards that, whoever's injured. By all accounts, the judge has distinctively said Barrel by saying that she was considering giving a warning, but she needed to listen to that telephone call was enough to weigh off the fact that she hadn't had time to do that assessment. So, how long does it take, Tony? You've got all this. Let's face it; they had months. He was getting released from prison. They they did nothing with their intelligence in regards to him going to get a gun. I'm going to shoot somebody. I've shot two people. I'm now going to shoot a police officer. Timescale, they, she could have made that decision in six months. I think we've established that anybody with any common sense, given the night before, would pass the warning on and sort the rest out later. I mean, is it superficial of me to say, let's just compare how another part of the emergency services might act. If you take from recent memory, the Grenfell Tower on fire, someone rings in and says there's a tower block on fire. What do they do? They sit around discussing it going, well, I don't know if that's real or not. No, they don't, do they? They race to the scene. And rightly so. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, something that's just come to mind there, Tony, is in that judgment, I think it is, the bronze commander, who's Northumbria's 
specialist firearms, senior coordinator, badge of honour and all this. He's done every course that he can. His comment in regards to the long-range taser device that ultimately left somebody else dead. He's, and I think the words that he used, well, that's all we've got. Now, he's their bronze specialist. That was his comment. That's all. Well, that's either all we've got or that's the best we've got. Let's try that. Yeah, so this is a good point to have a look at the individuals damaged by this whole story. Peter Ryan Boatman is the person David is referring to. Darren. There's a small article on Wikipedia. He was a former British police officer. He was found dead in a suspected suicide in his home on the 1st of October 2010. And I do want to remember him. My understanding is that I, w I was told he felt that he was doing the right thing. But there's got to be something more complicated than that. In that Northumbria police had the opportunity to use a taser which wasn't licensed. I'll read what it says on Wikipedia as we clear our minds. His company, Protect Systems, was formerly the only authorised importer of taser devices to Britain. The licence was revoked as a result of irregularities found during the investigation into the death of Raoul Moat. Am I correct in thinking that it was only on licence in one county? One force, or I think, uh, as as far as I'm aware, Tony, it was going through the testing process, which is long-winded, particle in itself. It goes through, uh, obviously, a section. We'll use it. They'll report back, briefing after briefing. Yes, it's no good. They do it with cars. They'll either buy BMWs, Subarus, Honda motorbikes, BMWs, and somebody will say, "I don't, I don't like." how this one handles the ties in the wrong place. Oh, we're not having them. So you, they'll do all that sort of in-house testing and, and they report back on it. I, I'm a, I think that's where that device was. Well, we don't know an awful lot about Peter Boatman, but he was awarded the Queen's Police Medal in the 1998 New Year's Honours List. There is a tribute online to Boaty, as he's referred by a guy called Bill Fox. I think when we measure up who who gets the most amount of airtime in this awful story, it's definitely important that that this person is remembered and in connection with that, I think the what appears amateurish way in which that taser was employed by Northumbria police. That falls in with all the other farcical decisions anybody with any rank in Northumbria police made from the day he got out of prison until the day he shot and killed. Let's just put that alongside the fact that this police force thought that it was a smart move to bring in 
Ramirez. I'll just leave that. I'll just leave that there. Um, you'd be amazed how much money has been burned in this operation. I don't know how they come to these numbers. David told me it was £1.4 million. I don't know how they get, how, how that bill racks up. No idea. The Actors Union would have, have a fee for Ray Mears. That would have had to have been paid. The Tornado Jets, they're quite expensive. I don't think they use four-star petrol. They did a few fly-pasts. And then you've got the overtime allowance for senior investigators. Pizzas in the control room. Extra pieces of white card that they can hold up with various words on, like guess who. <laughs> um, and then you've got things like, well, you've got all these associated costs, haven't you? You've got sandwiches after the public meeting in the closed venue. You know what? I'm, I'm, the thing that comes to mind, Tony, I'm so glad nearly 12 years is gone because I can now see past the, not past the grief, but past that rawness of losing my brother and from an ex-serving police officer, I'm so glad I didn't work for Northumbria Police. I am not going to edit that out. No, I don't think you should. Sue Sim retired in, or announced she was retiring in 2015, only weeks after a probe was launched into her treatment of other officers. Let's remember David's relationship with Sue. He invited her out on patrol with him when she was pretty new in the job. She'd come from Merseyside, where she served since 1985. Um, and despite uncertainty and tensions as time wore on towards the end of David's life, he didn't really, to me, say too many bad things about the chief. He, he respected her. He respected her. He, she actually took the time to go out with him. And as you know with me, and anybody who knows us, we speak as we find. And so Sue Sims going, to, going out on patrol with David and saying, does the traffic model work? I, I can quite clearly say to you, if it didn't, David would tell her. And that honesty isn't appreciated in management, in policing. In the conversations that we had, he was quite protective. Constable to sit in, sit in my house and cry. That's what happened. Susan cried at their house. And David could see, because she came into a, a police force that didn't have the best PR, but he felt that from the off, there were people trying to stand in her and way. The difficulty you've got now is that Mrs. Sim is in a position where Michael Craig has promoted all of the people he wanted around him, and she's now at the top, above all of the people below her that he promoted, and not one of them, or very few of them, um, support her in the way that they should. And... You know, it's like I said to you the other week with the, um, with the little snippets to the press about a swimming thing. That's only to undermine her position because they don't want her in post. Yeah, that's a reference to 
some leaking of some stories. And just to clarify the sort of hierarchy, um, she came to Northumbria Police in 2004 as an ACC Assistant Chief Constable. She was promoted to Deputy in 2008. But traditionally, a senior officer can only hold two chief officer posts in one force. The police authority were so determined to keep her in the force that they took the unprecedented step to ask the Home Secretary for special permission to allow Sue Sim to apply for the position of chief. When she was appointed in 2011, she was the first woman to lead a metropolitan force. But she certainly joined a police force that, let's just say, had its way of doing things. And, you know, not universally popular because I think she tried to affect change. But when you look at what she's done for Northumbria Police, she's the only person that gives a shit about the people that work for her. That's what David said. So she's obviously upset some people on the way because there's a grievance put in just as she's retiring about the way that she had treated other officers. But I never heard any of that from... David, and the only question mark over her is essentially, notwithstanding the stupidity of having that community meeting in the village hall in Rothbury, the only question mark is if she was told to backtrack or lie over the comments, David, you must sue me, and if indeed she didn't say those words because we believe that she did. Yeah, and you know what? That's, that's the disappointing thing. If you look at the respect that David gave her, he was under her watch. If she, and you know what, Tony? I know she said that because uh, one, I, I'm not assuming David told me that she said it. And when I had a conversation with her, she already said, she not said that I've told him to sue him, but she clearly said to me that David is going to go uh, for litigation, and quite rightly. But then for her to recant, I lost a little bit. And that going through the process of taking David back to Stafford and having the issues with, like, Kath being, saying that Kath couldn't come to the funeral and obviously dealing with that with... She was brought down under protection and, and then the rubbish in the paper about them not being welcome and that was clearly not right. There was reserve seating and all that sort of rubbish. I didn't want her to come to David's funeral in Stafford and that was clearly on the basis of I didn't want the focus to be on Sue Sim and the fact that I felt like she'd let him down. And I think, do you know what? If she looks back, I think she'd be one of the only ones that probably would say to herself, yeah, I did. I should have stood by what I said. And that was quite clearly, on, in her own words, in the High Court, I, that order, I would have given that order to go mobile, return to your police station. And then they put a policy to make sure that that happens. And I can tell you, Tony, if it put the scenario in now, I guarantee you, Superintendent Fluffer, Trumpton, or whatever his name is, her name is, because of that policy, I can guarantee you within 30 seconds they would put that order out now. So they're never going to be in the, 
playing behind the eight ball in this scenario. Some of the other people involved in this story, well, the assistant chief constable, Jim Campbell, seems to be the guy that has done a lot of the media. You'll recall at the start of the story, Neil Adamson fronted up quite a lot. He's the guy that said the net is closing. Uh, Jim Campbell seems to have been the person that Northumbria police trusted to, let's just say, retell the story according to the narrative that they were happy with. I don't know if he still serves. I think Neil Adamson has retired. I know that when ITV made their drama, their docudrama, in, it aired around Easter of 2023, I, I think he spoke for what I think is... Well, I've not seen anything else from him. I suppose it's worth noting that this was a... Well, you don't want to say a career highlight, do you? But this was the thing that many people in Northumbria Police will be most associated with. Yeah, Tony, Tony on the back, you're right, this will be the highlight of people's career. They made decisions that they have to live with. But you know what? When they write it up, or one of their mates write, write them up, there's two things that happen in the police. A good, a good bloke's kept down and a crap bloke is promoted. Because that's how they get rid of them. And you know what? If you've made, you, you've cost somebody their life or their eyesight, how how do you get promoted within eighteen months of that happening? Yeah, there were some promotions uh, <laughs> in the. And it's funny you, you you touched on that people are promoted around to. Uh, I, I, I don't know the politics. I, 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 I had a brief conversation with David that. She wasn't liked. She was changing things. It was a boys' club, and it was renowned for being a boys' club. But that that to happen that they promote people to get that support, you know, that that happens all all the way across the UK. I, I can tell you for a fact. Don't believe everything you read in the paper, and don't believe what the police say. I wonder if anybody from Northumbria Police has listen to any of these podcasts i wonder if anybody has misreported anything that we've discussed to northumbria police i think whilst it's been very emotional and tough going doing this we have at least balanced up the narrative and in an institution like the police force I think it's quite a difficult mental task sometimes to be clear of your own opinions rather than towing out the company line. I do wonder if officers involved that night or officers that weren't involved and looked on I wonder if they genuinely believe, hand on heart, that Northumbria Police did everything by the book. After that TV show aired at Easter 2023, in fact, during that TV show, there was a colleague of theirs from Yorkshire 
who said more or less that it was a textbook operation. And that's why I make that point about being clear and an independent thinker or towing the company line. Over a decade on, the force next down the motorway, who I think were involved in in the events, one of their top guys is still saying, now we've got it right. Yeah, that's great, isn't it, for the future? The whole picture, the whole story wasn't looked at by uh, an independent body, which I asked for, and it was declined on the basis that Northumbria Police Legal Department wrote to them and pointed out that I hadn't made an appropriate approach to them being investigated. It didn't fit in within the parameters, but in my opinion, it clearly did. Somebody had contact with the police and they were dead. But sadly, I think the only thing that didn't fit in was it was a policeman. So he didn't really care. Let's get rid of it. So no, nobody's interested, Tony. That's a, that's a sad thing. Sadly, we've had to look some stuff up to talk you through this podcast. It won't be lost on anybody that when you Google, you still see, and I, I hope people can picture, even though I don't want you to picture you, there's a certain image of moat that always comes up in every single article. It, it's not pleasant. What David would call a meathead, that round, fat face, the colour of the, the skin, perhaps you can see it. Unfortunately, that is the digital footprint that remains in this story and... There's no amount of column inches that can be written, nor clickbait. Let's remember that, because unfortunately in the modern era, David is a victim of, of clickbait. Stories that don't really go anywhere. Uh, a rehashing of old quotes and accusations. But it, none of that, none of that can measure what is in the hearts of those people that are connected to this story and we talked about trains being on a collision course darren darren's family myself to a lesser degree have wandered in and have had people wander in to our lives which we were never destined perhaps to be connected with we remember of course chris brown and, and sally brown then there's sam stobart at the time david was quite I don't know what the word is. Um, suspicious, perhaps. There was a thought that Moat had shot her not to kill her so that she might get some compensation. Um, at the time, going back 2011-12, there were reports that she'd received half a million pounds in compensation and had gone to Spain. I don't know if that's true or not. I looked her up earlier today and... Reports suggest that she's living a quiet life with, I think, her daughters and is working in a care home. That might be true, it might not. I don't know. What's certainly funny, Tony, is all the little cameos that spin off from a small incident and how big it can get. It's like a forest fire, isn't it? A little spark and it's within... An hour, it's 30 acres. Within four hours, it's 30,000 acres. 
But this story is exactly the same as every other one. It involves two individuals, possibly more, and then by the time it's finished, you, you, you can write a list of people affected from Stubart, Rathband, Brown, Bowman, Sue Sims, the woman from the Chinese in Australia that saw David on when she was on her holiday. And then we go to the final thing. David's marriage cascades down, crashes and burns very shortly after he's shot and left blinded. You know what? You couldn't write it up, could you, Tony? You, you can make a book out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, we come near the end of the line. One last tango. Um, I... I... think this has been sleeping in my subconscious for a long time. I think in the making of this show, which, if we scroll back, probably one year ago I started going through all the tapes and I called Darren, I think in January, and said, you know, basically I said, I'm ready, even though we'd never discussed it before. Um, I'm surprised of where it's taken me mentally. Uh, we've talked about in the past people that will flag up anniversaries. Remember, 29th of February is a day that doesn't exist. <laughs> we talk about that early, the, the first week in July, Chris Brown, David. And... My birthday is the day after David is is shot, so it's always lumped there now. Um, yeah, I can't believe the the toll that it has taken. And I think I was going to say there people appear at the anniversaries, but and say they think it's a hard day for you, but you are living with it every day. And whether or not that is that you have a David memory, whether something online or on the news reminds you, I used to often drive past that junction in the northeast, you know, where David was shot. And if I'm going back to the northeast now for football, you know, it comes uninvited into, into your mind. Um, and I, I think one of the things that is important to try and understand is that you do live with it, you do learn to live with it, but it has impacted on one's personality. That's something you would share, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, 100%, Tony. It's... Um... You know, I think everybody, for bad or good in this thing, everybody will take something from it. 
you've got to. That's what make. I'm sure that's what makes us diff, indifferent to being wild animals. We we have those emotions and those, that thought processes. We have to make a decision. Is that decision the right one? No, it wasn't. What happened? You've got to know where you've been to know where you're going, and that's and grief. You know what? Grief is a horrible thing. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's what do they say? There's only two certainties: we're all going to die, and we're all going to pay taxes. So <laughs> it's always going to happen. Do you know what? I never thought. I never thought David would go die. Um, but you know what? He has. So, and this process is probably the most. I'm talking about you and I, the most brutal, vivid reliving of it, I think, for both of us, um, since we lived it the first time. Um, thank you for doing it. Uh, thank you for for you at home or wherever you are. For listening... Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, Tony? Because I heard you, your voice changed about five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> and this is part of a process. And part of that grief process is knowing you've lost something or something's going. This is part of our healing. And it is painful. And what I would say to people is you have to do it. And Trust me, you you will survive. You will be different, but you know what? They they are always with you inside. Um, maybe not in person, but David will always be my brother, and we carry on. Mm. So don't give up. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a strange process making these shows because we we're committed to the story and we're committed to David, two different things um, we're committed to what we feel is the truth and certainly balancing the narrative you do if we lift the lid on the process have to get yourself up to do these shows we tend to record two in one go once a week and i've been broadcasting most of my life i'm really tired when we finish <laughs> i'm really tired and then i have to go and edit the, the thing as well but i this is a hard thing to explain to people but i'm able in that process in the edit to have I won't say an out-of-body experience, but to step back from me, the person that is on the show, and I'll nod along to what Darren's saying or audio from David or maybe a point that I've made. And I'm pretty proud that I think we've done a full job. I was going to say a good job, but I'm pretty sure that we have told this story in a way 
that a clickbait-seeking journalist can't in a way that some reporters placed themselves wrongly at the centre of the story and made it about them. I'm pretty sure we've taken you to places that you didn't know exist or knew a small amount, but now you know the lot. So I think it's served its purpose. People, through our pain and discomfort, people deserve to know the truth. And I've always maintained my story has never changed. You can ask me in another 10 years and I'll probably be able to say verbatim what I've told you over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the truth has been always said what's happened uh, because that's the only thing that should have been said. Uh, and all this spin and rhetoric and agenda and egotistical covering it was all, it was always going to be wrong and it was always going to direct it somewhere different. And now when you say, when you click on David Rathband, you don't get David Rathband shot in duty, hero policeman. You get bald-headed. And the image I get of him to cancel the one you've got out is when he's dressed in tights and he looks like a complete idiot. That's the one I maintain because I can't look at the other one. And it, every time you press on David, his face comes up and it, and then the story progresses. It, it's the, the middle bit where David's shot and his face is blasted off is sort of gone into, uh, like it, it's like somebody's rubbing it out. Because now it's going to infidelity, wife beater, suicide. He was a good man. He was a good cop. He was a good dad. And unfortunately, as we say in the police force, the shit hit the fan and it hit him first. So that's that's life, Tony. That's life. And if we talk about images, and I understand the process of, of making this show and being a listener, I understand that I pass a baton to you listening that we might say something and you are empowered that you can go and Google. I think if you've stuck with us through, I think it's 14 episodes, I'm not going to say you're on side because we only want to be on the side of the, the truth, but I think that you've got an interest in David's story and... You know, you're not about to take us to task on anything. But if you want to Google the measurement of the pain and the mental health aspect of this story, this is what you need to look at. You need to find a picture of David on the internet, I either before he was shot or not long after when he's been patched up. And then you need to look at those pictures towards the end. I say it literally, and it's true. The life was drained out of him. I can see pictures of myself from two years ago, and 
I'm at that age now, you know, where the body changes. But we're talking about a guy, how old would he have been there in 2010, 2011? How old? Uh, I'm trying to do my maths now. Well, you would uh, be the same age. I hate to break yeah, it. Yeah, I know that. That, that, was, that was one of the easy things. I'm, I'm, as I've got older, I forgot. 2011. Um, well, we are now 12. Oh, I don't know, Tony. Younger anyway. than he was when he died. <laughs> but you know what I'm, I mean, Darren. You can see, you can see the colour and greyness set upon him. Uh, very, very, very quickly, and it's very, very sad. And I hope, in a way, that. Um, for anybody that you know, has mental health challenges, you know, they do throw away the line of problem it is a problem shared. And it's never quite that that simple because one thing about that line, it overlooks that you can't just pick anybody to talk to. <laughs> you know, it's got to be a special person. If you're suffering from a mental health, you're having a breakdown or depressive or... Whatever phrase you want to put, you 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 don't want to talk because your head your head is in such a mess. You haven't you can't stop it from all these other thoughts. You can't process anything. So then to say, "Oh, Tony, I need to talk to you," you you have got no chance. So you do need a specialist. You, it needs to be readily available. And saying, "Are you okay?" doesn't cut it. It's, "Are you okay? I'm here for you." What can I do? Not, oh, he'll be all right. No, nobody visited David. He died in his house on his own. His wife was outside the house. All these people that are in David's life, none of them were outside his house. Somebody from Stafford was asked to come up and be with David. So are you okay? Doesn't put it. If you know somebody with mental health, don't, don't walk away when they say I'm fine. Because you know they've got mental health issues. They need help. They need to, even if it's just putting the kettle on and watching them cry. But you know what? That's part of the healing process. I find one of the hardest questions to answer uh, if I'm struggling is, how are you? And it's hard because I'm honest and I will give a full answer. And that's tough to get through. But also, you'd be amazed how many people are paying lip service and don't want the full answer. And... I was about to say something a few moments ago about how the whole story has impacted us as people. Um, I, uh, I don't laugh as much. And people who knew the radio show would would know that it was all about just trying to have a laugh. And the other thing is that, of course, you are grumpier at the slightest thing from 
traffic to the weather and then the things that really count like call centers and customer service oh boy <laughs> i don't think i've ever written so many complaint letters in the last 10 years and i think as i speak now i'm addressing the effect that, that this has had and i've never spoken really about this i do remember when david died thinking right well you've got to live two lives now you've got to take one for him and you've got to do one for yourself and remember on the steps of the the courthouse he said i've got a lifetime ahead of me and they've got a lifetime to reflect well we never know what's around the corner and uh in the context of those words, there wasn't much, much left. You know, the good thing is, Tony, David, and we've got to remember this. David's not suffering; we suffer because we 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 love we love him. That's again part of that process. They have still got to live that sentence. And you know what? They would have had a little thought about, oh yeah, he's killed himself. You know what? It ain't as long as forty-two years. You pair of yeah. I, I love him more for doing this show. And also, one thing that I'm very lucky to have is that I can almost just about get away with it because you're there. And I think this show works because of the telepathy of the twins. And if you remember David's voice cut and paste here's darren uh and obviously at times you know i'm lost in the moment and i'm i could be talking to either of you <laughs> that's a small comfort well, funny, Tony, is uh, earlier in this episode uh you actually called me david and i corrected you and you didn't hear me um <laughs> so you know you know what it's it's one of those things that i um, <laughs> now become I, I appreciate i had a beard up until very recently that i grew uh, i didn't shave it off and i looked untidy i lost the will to look after not look after myself but to have a nice haircut i didn't really give a shit what i looked like um, and one of the reasons was i grew a beard is because i i didn't have the strength to look in a mirror and look at me and see David um, and that was that, that's gone on for years I've just had it shaved off, I've now got a little goatee that I've just maintained because that just gives me that little bit of difference I see photos, I've got a photo here in front of me of me and our David as twins, we must be six, maybe seven I don't know who's who I've got no idea somebody on Facebook only this week posted a picture of, and said it was near the 4th of July, RRP, on my friend David. And guess what? It was a picture of me. <laughs> so <laughs> David's still... David's gone, but he's, he's still around. And it's, it's, it'll be around until I die, and then we'll both be in the same place. <laughs> the funny thing is, talk about getting names wrong. You know, every time you get someone's name wrong, I edit it out. <laughs> but I'll leave that one in because I think it's lovely. And, you know, what a surprise this 
final episode has been. And it reminds me, you know, we talk about 3rd of July, 4th of July, 5th of July, my birthday. The 6th of July is also a significant day uh, in my mom's life. But, you know, many people in the Northeast are interested in this story, obviously, and they associate me with the radio there. Um, I left the radio station, I think it was the 14th of July, 2011. And, you know, it pops up and that, and people are lovely and say, come back and that. But for you listening, if you're in that category, I, I need to say this, that the freedom of timeless radio podcasting, the way that we can talk without corporate pressure in the background, with real emotion, heart, and hopefully common sense, um, tells me that, uh, you know, I don't really want to go near a radio ever again unless unless it would be a guest. And the more stories like this that we can talk through, uh, that is, I hope, making a contribution. And, you know, Darren, we've got to end somewhere. And I didn't ever know how to end. We really should give the last word to David. But are you all right if I uh, read and sort of edit as I go the email that Angie, Darren's partner, uh, sent me? Well, I, I don't know what's in this. And um, I'll, look, I'll... Um... I just want to say a couple of things and I'll try not to go on and go on. Firstly, thank you for you, for your friendship for me and David um, and for still being here. Um, that means a lot. Um, the people that genuinely supported David from the North East and his colleagues, there were some. Thank you. Um, Angie, without her, I'd already be with him um, Chris Clark for telling me within seconds that Roll Mo Mo Moat I can't even get his name on to make any difference had shot himself in the head and don't tell anybody he's dead so guess thanks for that Chris because I told the bloke off Sky within five seconds that what you just told me I always I needed to tell somebody that, uh, so that was the first time that's out. Secondly, if you ever go and visit David, feel free to go and sit and say hello. But like the last bloke off the YouTube that went and visited him and, and visits loads of graves around England, pay respect. Think about both sides of uh, who's affected, but most importantly, read the back of his headstone. Just. There's more than one message on each uh, stone. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's been uh, cathartic, and I hope that uh, your lives are long, happy, and with love. Thank you. I don't think there can be another episode. I don't think there can be another series. Um, so I'll end with Angie's email to me. If, if I can, 
<laughs> Good luck. Um, you know, what this tells you is that David and his story is so much more than clickbait empowers people to put down lots of words and lots of feelings. Hi, Tony. I just wanted to tell you what a great job you and Darren are doing on these podcasts. I wasn't sure how this would affect Darren, and he asked me what I thought about starting the project, and this was my response. So she wrote, I'm not sure if this will be good for you or how you'll be perceived. This is not a criticism of your eloquence. You're quite capable of speaking for yourself and David but there's a chance you may come across as bitter, not heartbroken. That is personal and appropriate in the circumstances, but then you'll have to be prepared for a public response. Not everyone will see your side. It will open up that 11-year-old can of worms for you. Uh, I'm editing as I go. What you have produced so that's what she wrote in the beginning. What you have produced is a brilliant, perfect balance of fact and opinion, a series of chats between two mates who shared a life-changing experience that are funny, sad, interesting, easy to listen to, and not at all boring. Uh, to me, this is, she says, I didn't realise your time with David affected you so much. Your empathy and friendship show through in many of your comments. As you know, neither of them have easy personalities, have <laughs> been found to be quite abrasive by some. Your timing is good for Darren. He's able to talk and feel without too much melancholy aftermath. And then there's a few other, a few other notes, but yeah. That's a nice, nice email to receive. I read it several times and um, it made it worth it. I think, Tony, we all know that things come to a conclusion and it's, I suppose, in other pe people's lives, it's where you draw that, where that chapter shuts and another, st another story starts. And you being an author, you have the ability to do that with your pen. This process for me has been something that I needed to do you thankfully came along at the, the right time for me to do it David's story won't stop won't end and the good thing is I will always have a connection with the North East because through David's connection with Penny Dane I've now decided with her blessing that we are going to do a David Rathbun Memorial Award for her children that she trains and supports visually impaired or blind in the northeast, northeast site matters, and that's going to be a perpetual award that uh, we're going to hand out to one of the children that show positivity and compassion. So there's the PC link. Um, I've just got to try and get a trophy made up that's appropriate and that will be awarded in 2024 so the, the nice things from the bad things do start to happen it just takes many years to get to a stage where you can smile laugh 
after you've had a good try. Thank you. So, here ends the Rathband tapes. Thank you so much for listening. Last word. Remember, I was often asked, how would David like to be remembered? And I reply, he would just like to be remembered. With thanks to series consultant Rob Jones, this is a Horny Media and Publishing Production.